Book One, Chapter Nine of the History of Sir Richard Calmedy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Anne Fletcher, Hobart, two thousand and twenty. The History of Sir Richard Calmedy by Lucas Mallet. Book One, Chapter Nine, in which Catherine Calmedy looks on her son more than a week elapsed before ormiston was called upon to redeem his promise for lady calmedy's convalescence was slow an apathy held her which was tranquillizing rather than tedious she was glad to lie still and rest she found it very soothing to be shut away from the many obligations of active life for a while to watch the sunlight on fair days shift from east by south to west across the warm fragrant room to see the changing clouds in the delicate spring sky and the slow dying crimson and violet of the sunset to hear the sudden hurry of falling rain the subdued voices of the women in the adjoining nursery and sometimes the lusty protestations of her baby when as john nutt had put it things didn't suit him she felt a little jealous of the comely young wet nurse a little desirous to be more intimately acquainted with this small new richard calmedy on whom all her hopes for the future were set but immediately she was very submissive to the restrictions laid by denny and the doctor upon her intercourse with the child she only stood on the threshold of motherhood as yet while the inevitable exhaustion following on the excitement of her spring and summer of joy her autumn of bitter sorrow and her winter of hard work asserted itself now that she had time and opportunity for rest the hangings and coverlet of the great ebony half-tester bed were lined with rose silk and worked with many coloured worsteds on a white ground in the elaborate persian pattern so popular among industrious ladies of leisure in the reign of good queen anne it may be questioned whether the parable wrought out with such patience of innumerable stitches was closely comprehensible or sympathetic to the said ladies since a particularly wide interval both of philosophy and practice would seem to divide the temper of the early eighteenth century from that of the mystic east still the parable was there plain to those who could read it and not perhaps rather pathetically without its modern application the powers of evil in the form of a leopard pursue the soul of man symbolized by a heart through the forest of this life in the midst of that same forest stands an airy domed pavilion in which if so be it have strength and fitness to reach it the panting hunted creature may for a time find security and repose above this resting-place the trees of the forest interlace their spreading branches loaded with amazing leaves and fruit while companies of rainbow-hued birds standing very upright upon nothing in particular entertain themselves by holding singularly indigestible-looking cherries and mulberries in their yellow beaks and so catherine resting in dreamy quiet within the shade of the embroidered curtains was even as the heart pasturing in temporary security before the quaint pavilion the mark of her bereavement was upon her sensibly still would be so until the end often in the night when denny had at last left her she would wake suddenly and stretch her arms out across the vacant space of the wide bed calling softly to the beloved one who could give no answer and then recollecting 
would sob herself again to sleep often too as ormiston's step sounded through the chapel room when he came to pay her those short frequent visits bringing the clean freshness of the outer air along with him catherine would look up in a wondering gladness cheating herself for an instant with unreasoning delight look up only to know her sorrow and feel the knife turn in the wound nevertheless these days made in the main for peace and healing on more than one occasion she petitioned that julius march should come and read to her choosing as the book he should read from spencer's fairy queen he obeyed in manner calm in spirit deeply moved catherine spoke little but her charm was great as she lay her eyes changeful in colour as a moorland stream listening to those intricate stanzas in which the large hope the pride of honourable deeds the virtue the patriotism the masculine fearlessness the ideality the fantastic imagination of the english renaissance so nobly finds voice they comforted her mind set by instinct and training to welcome all splendid adventures of romance of nature and of faith they carried her back in dear remembrance to the perplexing and enchanting discoveries which richard calmady's visit to ormiston castle the many-towered grey house looking eastward across the unquiet sea had brought to her and specially did they recall to her that first evening even yet she grew hot as she thought of it when the supposed gentleman jockey whom she had purposed treating with gay and reducing indifference proved not only fine scholar and fine gentleman but absolute and indisputable master of her heart dr knott came to see her too almost daily rough tender-hearted humorous and dependable never losing sight in his intercourse with her of the matter in hand of the thing which immediately is thus did these three men each according to his nature and capacity strive to guard the poor heart pasturing before the quaint pavilion set for its passing refreshment in the midst of the forest of this life and to keep just so long as was possible the pursuing leopard at bay nevertheless the leopard gained despite of their faithful guardianship which was inevitable the case standing as it did for one bright afternoon about three o'clock mrs denny arrived in the gun-room where ormiston sat smoking while talking over with julius the turf-cutting claims of certain squatters on spendle flats arrived not to summon the latter to further readings of the great elizabethan poet but to say to the former will you please come at once sir her ladyship is sitting up she is a little difficult about the baby only you know sir if i can say it with all respect in her pretty teasing way but i am afraid she must be told and roger rose and went sick at heart he would rather have faced an enemy's battery vomiting out shot and shell than gone up the broad stately staircase and by the silent sunny passageways to that fragrant white-panelled room on the stands and tables were bowls full of clear-coloured spring flowers early primrose jonquil and narcissus a wood fire burned upon the blue and white tiled hearth and on the sofa drawn up at right angles to it catherine sat wrapped in a grey silk dressing-gown bordered with soft white fur 
she flushed slightly as her brother came in and spoke to him with an air of playful apology i really don't know why you should have been dragged up here just now dear old man she said it is some fancy of denny's i'm afraid in the excess of her devotion she makes me rather a nuisance to you and now not contented with fussing about me she has taken to being absurdly mysterious about the baby she stopped abruptly something in the young man's expression and bearing impressed her causing her to stretch out her hands to him in swift fear and entreaty oh roger she cried roger what is it and he told her repeating with but a few omissions the statement made to him by the doctor ten days ago he dared not look at her while he spoke lest seeing her should unnerve him altogether catherine was very still she made no outcry yet her very stillness seemed to him the more ominous and the horror of the recital grew upon him his voice sounded to him unnaturally loud and harsh in the surrounding quiet once her silken draperies gave a shuddering rustle that was all at last it was over at last he dared to look at her the colour and youthful roundness had gone out of her face it was as grey as her dress fixed and rigid as a marble mask ormiston was overcome with a consuming pity for her and with a violence of self-hatred hangman and to his own sister in truth it seemed to him to have come to that he knelt down in front of her laying hold of both her knees oh, kitty can you ever forgive me for telling you this he asked hoarsely even in this extremity catherine's inherent sweetness asserted itself she would have smiled but her frozen lips refused her eyelids quivered a little and closed i have nothing to forgive you dear she said indeed it is good of you to tell me since since so it is she put her hands upon his shoulders gripping them fast and bowed her head the little flames crackled dancing among the pine logs and the silk of her dress rustled as her bosom rose and fell it won't make you ill again roger asked anxiously catherine shook her head oh no she said i have no more time for illness this is a thing to cure as a cautery cures to burn away all idleness and self-indulgent sick-room fancies see i'm strong i'm well she stood up her hands slipping down from ormiston's shoulders and steadying themselves on his hands as he too rose her face was still ashen but purpose and decision had come into her eyes do this for me she said almost imperiously go to denny tell her to bring me the baby she is to leave him with me and tell her as she loves both him and me as she values her place here at brockhurst she is not to speak as he looked at her ormiston turned cold she was terrible just then catherine he said quickly what on earth are you going to do oh no harm to my baby in any case you need not be alarmed i am quite to be trusted only i cannot be reasoned with or opposed still less condoled with or comforted yet i want my baby and i must have him here alone the doors shut locked if i please her lips gave the corners of her mouth dropped 
and watching her ormiston swore a little under his breath we have something to say to each other the baby and i she went on which no one else may hear so do what i ask you roger and come back i may want you in about an hour if i do not send for you before alone with her child lady calmady moved slowly across and bolted both the nursery and the chapel room doors then she drew a low stool up in front of the fire and sat down laying the infant upon her lap it was a delicious dimpled creature with a quantity of silky gold-brown hair that curled in a tiny crest along the top of its head it was but half awake yet the rounded cheeks pink with the comfort of food and slumber and as the beautiful young mother bending that set ashen face of hers above it laid the child upon her knees it stretched clenching soft baby fists and rubbing them into its blue eyes catherine unwrapped the shawls and took off one small garment after another delicate gossamer-like things of fine flannel lawn and lace such as women's fingers linger over in the making with tender joy once her resolution failed her she wrapped the half-dressed child in its white shawls again rose from her place and walked over to the sunny window carrying it in the hollow of her arm it staring up meanwhile with the strange wonder of baby eyes and cooing as though holding communication with gracious presences haunting the moulded ceiling above catherine gazed at it for a few seconds but the little creature's serene content its absolute unconsciousness of its own evil fortune pained her too greatly she went back sat down on the stool again and completed the task she had set herself and then the baby lying stark naked on her lap she studied the fair little face the pencilled eyebrows and fringed eyelids dark like her own the firm rounded arms the rosy palmed hands their dainty fingers and finger-nails the well-proportioned and well-nourished body without smallest mark or blemish upon it sound wholesome and complete all these she studied long and carefully while the dancing glow of the firelight played over the child's delicate flesh and it extended its little arms in the pleasant warmth holding them up as in act of adoration towards those gracious unseen presences still apparently hovering above the flood of in-streaming sunshine against the ceiling overhead lastly she turned her eyes with almost dreadful courage upon the mutilated malformed limbs upon the feet set right up where the knees should have been thus dwarfing the child by a fourth of his height she observed them handled felt them and as she did so her mother love which until now had been but a part and consequence since the child was his gift the crown and outcome of their passion his and hers consequence of the great love she bore her husband became distinct from that an emotion by itself heretofore unimagined pervasive of all her being it had none of the sweet abandon the dear enchantments the harmonising sense of safety and repose which that earlier passion had this was altogether different in character and made quite other demands on mind and heart for it was fierce watchful anxious violent with primitive instinct 
the roots of it planted far back in that unthinkable remoteness of time when the fertile womb of the great earth-mother began to bring forth the first blind simple forms of those countless generations of living creatures which slowly differentiating themselves slowly developing have peopled this planet from that immeasurable past to the present hour love between man and woman must be for ever young even as eros cupid and krishna are for ever youthful gods but mother-love is of necessity mature majestic ancient from the stamp of primal experience which is upon it and so at this juncture realising that which her motherhood meant her immaturity and her girlhood fell away from catherine calmedy her life and the purpose of it moved forward on another plane she bent down and solemnly kissed the unlovely shortened limbs not once or twice but many times yielding herself up with an almost voluptuous intensity to her own emotion she clasped her hands about her knees so that the child might be enclosed overshadowed embraced on all sides by the living defences of its mother's love alone there with no witnesses she brooded over it crooned to it caressed it with an insatiable hunger of tenderness and yet my poor pretty if we had both died you and i ten days ago she murmured how far better for what will you say to me when you grow older to me who have brought you without any asking or will of yours into a world in which you must always be at so cruel a disadvantage how will you bear it all when you come to face it for yourself and i can no longer shield you and hide you away as i do now will you have fortitude to endure or will you become sour vindictive misanthropic and envious will you curse the hour of your birth catherine bowed her proud head still lower oh don't do that my darling she prayed in piteous entreaty don't do that for i will share all your trouble do share it even now beforehand foreseeing it while you still lie smiling unknowing of your own distress i shall live through it many times by day and night while you live through it only once and so you must be forbearing towards me my dear one when you come she broke off abruptly her hands fell at her sides and she sat rigidly upright her lips parted staring blankly at the dancing flames in repeating dr knott's statement ormiston had purposely abstained from all mention of richard calmedy's accident and its tragic sequel he could not bring himself to speak to catherine of that until now dominated by the rush of her emotion she had only recognised the bare terrible fact of the baby's crippled condition without attempting to account for it but now suddenly the truth presented itself to her she understood that she was herself in a sense accountable that the greatness of her love for the father had maimed the child as she realised the profound irony of the position a blackness of misery fell upon catherine and then since she was of a strong undaunted spirit an immense anger possessed her a revolt against nature which could work such wanton injury and against god who being all-powerful could sit by and permit it so to work 
all the foundations of faith and reverence were for the time being shaken to the very base she gathered the naked baby up against her bosom rocking herself to and fro in a paroxysm of rebellious grief god is unjust she cried aloud he takes pleasure in fooling us god is unjust End of chapter 9 of book 1